Chapter 14 of Workhouse Characters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisanne Lavoie of Swansea, Illinois. Workout Characters by Margaret Nevinson. Chapter 14 An Obscure Conversationalist. Out of the Night That Covers Me. Black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Aye, lass, but you ain't been to see me for a long time, and me been that queer and quite a fixture in bed all along of catching a cold at that funeral. Been abroad, have you? Ah, well, you're welcome, for I've been a bit upset about not seeing you, and because of a dream I had. I dreamt I was up in heaven all along of the great white throne and the great gates with holy angels all around us singing most vigorous. Mrs. Curtis was there, and my blessed mother, and my niece Nellie, and the Reverend Walker. You know the Reverend Walker, ma'am. Him as I sits under? Yes, I like little Walker, what there is of him to like, for I wish he was bigger. But he was all right in my dream, larger than life, with a crown on him. But I miss some of you, and I says to myself, Mrs. Nivenson ain't here. So, I'm glad, lass, as you're safe-like. Yes, I've been that queer I couldn't know myself. And though I'm better, I'm that bone lazy I can't move. But I'll be all right again soon, and I'll get those petticoats of yourn finish, which I am ashamed of having cluttering about still. I've had what's called brown chitis. Mrs. Gertis fetched the doctor when I took bed, and they brought me up a sort of tent with a sheet and a kettle spitting steam at me through a roll of brown paper they fixed on the spout. And I have killed myself with laughing at such goings-on. I was that hot and smothered, I had to get up in the middle of the night and get to the open window and take a breath of fog, for you can't call it air. I felt just like a boiled lobster. I ain't had nothing to do with doctors before, and I don't understand their ways. This young chap, he got old on a piece of wood and planked it down on my chest with his ear clapped to the other end. Say ninety-nine, he says, as grave as a judge. Sir, I says, I'm not an imbecile, and not having much breath to spare, I'll keep it to talk sense. He bursts himself with laughing, and then he catches hold on my, and as men do when they go a curtain. Sir, I says, a fine young chap like you had better hang on with some young wench. He got forward again to spit himself. It's a treat to come and see you, he says. But you're really ill this time, you know, and you ought to go into the infirmary and get properly nursed up. Never, I says, never. And he went away, cowed-like. Now, lass, I ain't a-going to no workhouse with poor critters a-gasping and a-groaning all around. I've kept myself to myself, free and independent all my life, and free and independent I'll die. Little Walker catched it up the other day, sending a sort of visiting lady here. The organization lady, she calls herself, so Mrs. Curtis said. Well, she asked so many questions and wanted to know why I had not had thrift 
as she called it, that I turned on her and I says, I think you've made a little mistake in the number. I ain't got no hidden crime on my conscience, but I'm a lady of independent means and must ask for peace and quiet, which is due to wealth. I was that angry with the Reverend Walker. Did it for the best, he said. Thought as I might have got a little help from the organization if I hadn't been so rude. The very idea. I ate help. I hung by mine owned, like every proper erring and human ought to. And when I can't hang no longer, I'll drop quiet and decent into my grave. No, I never got married. What I saw of men in service did not exactly set me to coveting my neighbor's husbands. I said of big babies, as must have the moon if they want it. To say nothing of the wine and the women and the trotting horses and the betting on them silly cards. Besides, to tell the truth, lass, no man of decent stature ever asked me to wed. Being a big woman, all the little scrubs come a-following me. But I would not go with any of them. Always like grenadier guards, six foot at least. Perhaps it was as well. I should never have had patience to put up with a man about the place, being so masterful myself. Besides, ain't I been sort of father and husband to my sister Cordelia? Mother died when Cordelia was born, and she says to me, Ruth, take care of this helpless baby. And God help me, I done my best, though the poor girl's made a poor bargain with life. Her husband getting queerer and more cantankerous, wandering the country up and down as fast as they brought him home, and having to be shut up in Conley Hatch at the end. I was not going to satisfy that organization lady's curiosity and boast how I helped to bring up that family, and a deal of thrift that lady would have managed on the two shillings a week I kept of my wages, the missus often passing the remark that, considering the good money she paid, she liked her servants better dressed. Cordelia was left with three little ones, and I couldn't abide the thought of her coming to the parish and having them nice little kids took from her and brought up in them workout schools. So, I agreed to give her eight shillings a week out of my wages, and that, with the twelve shillings she got cooking at the pig and whistle, kept the home together. Poor lass. She's had no luck with her boys either. Poor Tim's going off weak in his head and having to be put away. And Jonathan killed straight off at Eglingstadter with a bullet through his brain. Yes, there's Ambrose. No, I don't ask Ambrose to help me. He's got his mother to help and a heavy family besides. No, I don't take food out of the stomachs of little children a sutton their growth as nothing can be done for them later. And a starving of their brains? I pulls my belt a bit tighter, thank you. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. Didn't I spend nearly every Sunday afternoon for nigh on twenty years at Conley Hatch? Well, the will of the Lord be done. But why, if he be almighty, he lets folks be mad when he might strike them dead, has always puzzled and tried my faith. Yes. I lives on my five shilling pension and what my last master left me. Half a crown rent doesn't leave me with much for food. I always had a good appetite, I'm sorry to say. And I often dream of grilled steaks. Not since the bronchitis, though. I'm all for lemons and fizzy drinks. The folks here are very kind and often bring me some of their dinner. But Lord, they are poor cooks. And if their husbands drink, I for one ain't surprised. I could grill a steak with anyone, 
and I attribute my independent income to my stakes. In my last place, the master fought the world of them, and when there was a rumpuses in the kitchen, I used to hear him say, Sack the old blooming lot, but remember, Brooke stays. And stays I did, till the old gentleman died, and remembered his stakes in his will. Well, I was going to tell you how I caught this cold, only you will keep on interrupting of me. I saw how there was going to be a funeral at St. Paul's, and I thought I'd go. I always was one for looking at men, and having been a kitchen maid at York Palace, I took on a taste for cathedrals and stained windows and music and such like, as a sort of respite from the troubles and trials of life. Oh, it was beautiful to hear the organ play, and to see the gold cross carried in front of the dear little chorister boys, and I says to myself, their ma's are proud of them today. Then came the young chaps who sing tenor and bass, fine, upstanding young men, and then the curates with their early faces, but at the end were the bishops and deans, and such like, and they were that old and ugly, I was quite ashamed. Well, I thought I'd treat myself to a motor bus after my long walk. The young chap says, Don't go up on top, mother. You'll catch cold. Thank you kindly, I says, but I ain't a hothouse plant, being born on the moors. And up I went. But, Lord, I hadn't reckoned out a wind cut. Going through the galloping pace we went, it petrified to the negriggy, as poor mother used to say. Now, I don't know where the negriggy is. But take off your fur coat, top of a motor bus, and a vehement east wind, and perhaps you'll feel. Yes, that's little Walker's bell a-going. It ain't a wedding, and it ain't a funeral. It's a kind of prayers that he says, chiefly to itself, at five o'clock. He's I church. Must you be going? Well, come again soon. Be in country yourself. You understands fresh air as folks brought up among chimbleys can't be expected to. But don't worry me no about infirmaries, for I ain't a-going, so there. Mrs. Curtis has her orders, and when I'm took worse, she's to put me in the long train at Whistles and goes to York. Yes, I've saved up the railway fare, and from there I can get home and die comfortable on the moor with plenty of air and the peace of God all around. The landlady came to open the door for me as I went down the well-scrubbed staircase. Yes, ma'am, Miss Brooks is better, but she's very frail. The doctor thinks that she can't last much longer, but her conversation continues as good as ever. My old man or one of my sons goes up to sit with her every evening. She's such good company. She saves them the money from the alls and makes them laugh as much as little titch. We'll take care of her, ma'am. The Reverend Walker told me to get whatever she wants and he'd pay, and all the folks are real fond of her in the house. She's that quick with her tongue. No, ma'am, she'll never go back to York. She's too weak, but the doctor told me to humor her. End of chapter 14. Recording by LaSanne Lavoie.